Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paul LeFaver. I'm here with my Ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. And this is the Pinelander Podcast, uh, the podcast for America's warriors. Today is Friday, uh, the 5th of January, 2024. Can you believe it? It's 2024. We just screamed by. Wow. And uh, we're still in the uh, same undisclosed location, uh, deep with inside uh, Pineland. And uh, today we're talking about... Uh, I think what better way to get the year started but talk about the seditious nature uh, that foreign ideologies like communism and other isms have had on our country to bring it down or working to bring it down. And and uh, who better to, uh, to uh, talk about that and banter with than NC Scout? NC Scout, welcome to the uh, G-Base. <laughs> Thanks for having me, gentlemen. It's great to be here. So uh, we we thought we'd have a little fun uh, bringing in 2024. I think 2024 is going to be um, a crazy year. Um, we have, of course, we have a whole bunch of uh, craziness going on around the world, but uh, we also have a presidential election coming up. Um, and, you know, it's been fun uh, watching all that sort of develop in 2023, but it's going to get, it's going to get completely out of control uh, this year for sure. Um, but uh we brought up a guy by the name of Cleon Skousen, and uh, we were kind of dusting off the books and, and kind of pulling him out because um, there's a lot of prophetic things that he brought up a long time ago that I think are relevant today, and we wanted to bring you in to discuss no that. Doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cleon Skousen is a, a familiar name, I think, to a lot of people out there. Through his nephew, his nephew Joel Skousen, uh, Doctor Joel Skousen, he wrote. Uh, he's written several books that I think are, are important, but um, strategic relocation is the one that's probably uh, his most famous work. Um, he is uh, interestingly enough. That's his nephew. He's he's been on a bunch of radio shows. Of course, Alex Jones and. Um, uh, you know, s- several others. I mean, if you, you look up Joel Scouse and you know, you, you're going to find a, a mountain of work and um, he's been right about a lot of stuff and he very much continued the work of his uncle, Glenn Scousen, who uh, Glenn Scousen is, is um, I think one of the more influential thought leaders of the the 1960s into the 1970s of the dissident conservative movement out there and and really pointed out um, how the communist subversion in the United States was playing out in real time. And he he wrote a couple of books, I think, that, that are critically important. Of course, The Naked Communist, which is, um, uh, it's it's a must read if you're an anti-communist 
if you even just seek to understand what what the real goal of, of Marxism in the United States is um, and trying to make sense out of out of the world today, that book is a critical read. That book in particular laid out the roadmap for all of the subversion that we see. And, and the, the thing is, is that for conservatives, for folks on the right, um, you know, however you define that, you know, we're, we're kind of uh, currently in this, this quagmire of, um, you know, the, the GOP is trying to subvert um, the will of the people. And of course, then there's the populist base that, you know, uh, make the Make America Great Again crowd or the MAGA crowd. Um, and, and there's various splintered off thought leaders in, in different directions of that. But um, in a nutshell, if you want to know and, and want to get a, a better picture, the, the 10,000 foot view of where we have come um, and from where we have come, that book is an important read because he's been right about pretty much everything. Um, you know, with, with a few minor alterations for, for the times in which it was written compared to today, um, you're going to get a, a, a very good view into the past and you're going to see exactly how far we've fallen as, as a republic. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I think most people may have been like me. I stumbled onto Cleon Skousen uh, through Joel Skousen. Because uh, I, I was like, who, who, who is this guy? Now, I got his book. I've got Strategic Relocation. Fantastic work. I mean, the, guy, the guy's done his homework. He's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant author. Um, but uh, through him, I learned about Cleon. Now, Cleon, uh, 1958, uh, I want to say, is when uh, he came out with uh, The Naked Communist. Um, yes. I mean, back then he was probably thought of as a little bit of tin hat guy, a little bit of a, a conspiratorialist or whatever. But uh, clearly over time, I mean, this guy has proven to be quite prophetic. I'm looking at uh, a couple of things that he said was uh, one of the goals here. And, of course, it was the breakdown of the family, uh, discredit the family as an institution, encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. Um, that's, we, we've been watching that go on for decades, uh, dominate the psychiatric profession, uh, using the mental health laws as a means of gaining coercive control over those who oppose communist goals. Um, we're, I mean, I, this is just two of, of a list of 45 I'm looking at, but I'm looking at all 45 of these and I'm like, this guy was dead on back in 1958. Yeah, no doubt. And he, he, it's interesting to note that that Clint Skousen really uh, came into prominence at the height of of what would become McCarthyism. Um, you know, the 1950s. We we look at the 1950s as conservatives. We look at the 1950s as one of the most prosperous times in American history, uh, and it was. It, it was the the post war, uh, post World War II the baby boom, the, the economic engine of, of the United States that would um, really create us as a global leader, that foundation was laid in the late 1940s and definitely hit its stride in the 1950s. But more importantly, socially, 
in the United States, we were really at our peak too. We had our, our peak aesthetic. We had um, really the, the best quality of life at the time, largely. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, is socially, people were very happy. It, it was um, a, a scary time on one hand because it, you know, you, you, we did have the specter of communism that was staring at us, but we also had a generation that knew what it was going to take to beat it. And they, they had just come out of World War II. That was a recent memory. Of course, Korea, can't forget about Korea. Um, because Korea immediately on the heels of World War II, just uh, three years removed from the conclusion, and then going into the early 1950s, um, you know, we had, we had yet another uh, generation of men who were just, just barely uh, young enough to miss World War II, but were pushed into the meat grinder of Korea. Um, they knew what it was like. They knew what it took to win. They knew, uh, you know, what we needed to do as a nation. And we were far stronger because of it. You know, you, you had a very strong evangelical movement in the United States as well that was devoutly anti-communist. Um, it, it was a very prosperous time. And because of that, because of that, the communists absolutely hated it. This is why you have the... the um, a lot of your Marxist conflict theory professors in the United States, regardless of, of academic domain in, in which they're teaching, uh, be it political science, uh, sociology, even anthropology, they all point to the 1950s as the root of the communist movement in the United States. There were certainly movements before that. Um, there was the the uh, just after World War One that there, there was there was a, a large scale communist movement, and, which led to the creation of the FBI. But that was that lost a lot of steam as we went into World War Two. Uh, FDR, in fact, took a lot of the the, the wind out of those sails uh, through his own brand of socialism that he introduced to the United States. But, that's another conversation altogether. They point to the, the 1950s, and in particular, the late 1950s, as we had hit the stride. Conservatism in America was really proving its merits. It, it was winning. It was successful. And when you looked at, at, at the Soviet Union, the, the view across the pond, they were impoverished. The pogroms had continued. The... Um, the the uh, decolacification was going on. It was really hitting its stride. Centralized management was failing, and the Soviet Union economically never recovered from any of that. D despite what the Marxists may say and what they may claim, they never recovered from that economically. Capitalism was winning, and it continued to win. And in the early 1960s, the late 1950s, early 1960s we really hit our technological advancement and stride. And, and so we were winning across the board, economically, socially. The communists were panicked by this. This is why you saw uh, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg and, and the communist underground. Of course, this was documented uh, well in, in uh, Oppenheimer. Anybody that's seen Oppenheimer, you know, we're talking about an entire 
uh, decade and a half or so, an era in which the communists point at that in fear. And they still do this, by the way. They, this, this conversation is ongoing. You know, we, we see right now that, that there's a, a conversation about Christian nationalism, quote unquote. Right? Christian nationalism, is, oh, it's, that's a verboten term. And it's really disheartening to see a lot of conservatives, uh, a, a surprisingly large number of conservatives, or I would say, you know, maybe on the other hand, an unsurprisingly large number of conservatives who are decrying, you know, oh, Christian, no, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, you know, looking over uh, Queen Skousen's uh, 45 goals of, of communism in the United States here, uh, one of these, point number 12, resist any attempt to outlaw the Communist Party. And of course, in, in quotations here, note, well, the idea of, of banning any political party runs contrary to the notions of American freedom and liberty, notions that are the exact opposite of those held by the left-wing communists themselves. Nevertheless, these goals sought to undermine the constitutional obligation of Congress to investigate subversion, the weakening of our government's ability to conduct such investigations led to the attack of 9-11. So what does that have to do with Christian nationalism? Well, the communists have gained such a strong foothold in our society, and, and it, it's it's the perfect trick. You know, the 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 um, the greatest lie ever told was convincing was was Satan convincing Christians that he doesn't even exist. If if we don't understand or are not aware of just how subverted we are. This, this idea of Christian nationalism is what the communists are using, and they're, they're allies in the media, they're, they're one and the same. They're using this to attack any pushback against their push and their aims at completely destroying American society, or, or I should say, what's left of it. That is exactly what they are doing, the underpinnings of any morality in this country whatsoever. And if you go back and read the naked communists, he pointed all of this out. So when we say, you know, resist any attempt to outlaw the Communist Party, understand that Marxism is a religion. Marxism is 100% top to bottom a religion. It replaces Christianity. It replaces even Islam. All of these religions are apostate to, to Marxism. If you read Marxism, in the or it has an orthodox. By the way, they, there are Marxist Orthodox, they, very uh, hard line on this. This is exactly how it's going to be, and, and they have their goals. There's hard line Orthodoxy, Maoism, which is is a, a deviation from Marxism, and, and there's an internal debate back and forth on that. But when we say that that we can't outlaw the Communist Party, right? We can't outlaw this. Well, that that's a violation of the the First Amendment, right? But they will be quick to label any Christian and any pushback against this this immoral, everything that they're doing from, from the pornography that they put in school libraries that are, that are accessible to small children, to the grooming of children, the open pedophilia, the immorality that we see that, that, that is obvious on its face, right? To the burning down of our city, 
the, the, this is the removal of any social constraints whatsoever. The, the dismantling and restructuring of our police, which is an internal security mechanism to keep these things from happening. This, this isn't by accident. This is all part of the Marxist goal. If, if you break down one social order, you will replace it with another one that is designed to attack the, the actual conservative base of a place that stands against you. That's exactly what they've done. This is why Black Lives Matter was what they, their primary talking point was defund the police. They don't say that anymore. You don't hear them saying that anymore because what that turned into was we need to replace the police with something else. We need to create a new thing. And conservatives who, who don't understand what's happening before their very eyes will sit back and say, well, you know, oh, oh, okay. Well, we still have police. Yeah, well, the police doesn't represent you. They don't represent you. They stand in contrary to you. If you defend yourself, so say, um, for example, you know, you get robbed. You're at the gas station, pumping gas, you get robbed, right? And you, or, or it's an attempted robbery. You pull your weapon, you do what you got to do, right? As any of us in this conversation right now would absolutely. 100% top to bottom, dude. Chances are very high that you're going to get arrested. You're going to get character assassinated in the media. They're going to pick and choose every little thing in your past, every social media post, everything about you, and paint a mosaic in the media to completely destroy anything when they create a narrative about you, right? To make sure that that prosecutor, when you do get in there, that, that the jury is completely tainted, that there is no chance that you, you're going to be able to defend yourself in court. When you were 100% in the moral right to defend your life and your property. And that's the other thing about the communists, is they say there's no such thing as property. This is a core tenet of communism. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that today. 2024, this is one of their primary conversations, is that you don't have a right to property, this notion of property. Rent, for example, is, is rent is racist. Rent is, is terrible. You're a terrible person and exploit, right? That's exactly what they're doing here. That's exactly what the conversation has become. And so circling back to Christian nationalism, what does this outlawing of the Communist Party had to do with the conversation on, on Christian nationalism and the, the decriment and the derivement that, that Christian nationalism is getting uh, in the media uh, currently. And it's primarily driven by the character assassination attempts on the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, right? This, this is what they're doing. They, they want to attack him. They want to undermine him that this is how they're going about doing it. And some of that's coming from within his, uh, within the GOP, by the way. I would say that the former Speaker McCarthy is, is uh, ironically named uh, because of the, the wonderful Joe McCarthy. But uh, former Speaker McCarthy uh, is, is one of the primary proponents of this because that's an actual concerted pushback. So the, the outlawing of the Communist Party represents a conundrum of the First Amendment in the conversation of that. And, and it's actually a loophole. So in order for a society to function, 
right? Any society, and and let's say the United States, because we're all living here, and this is our country, and this is what we want to preserve. Right? In order for the conditions of the Constitution to exist and the Bill of Rights to exist, rights have to entail duties, or they do not exist. This is you know two hundred level philosophy here, right? There has to be some sort of safeguard and a pre-existing condition on any sort of liberty whatsoever has to be that we all agree on what is acceptable and what is not. Right there, there has to be that that agreement, that congruence, that at least a a large majority of society agrees that this is acceptable behavior. Right. When we no longer have that, or when people are not well educated enough to articulate those caveats, communism is a result. Because every communist thought leader is at least well educated enough to articulate and exploit these loopholes. This is what they are taught to do. This is what they will do. This is what they have continued to do. This is why they are groomed in law schools, by the way, is so that they can subvert the law through civil litigation, by the way. It very rarely is, is it done through criminal law. It's most frequently done through torts and civil litigation. That's how they do it. So when we can we can all generally agree that communism's awful idea. It's it's led to uh, genocides. It, it almost universally, it has led to genocides, it has led to uh, endless human rights abuses. It, it has led to the death of, of tens of millions of people, possibly hundreds of millions of people, if, if we're being truly honest about its second and third order effects. And yet, we haven't outlawed it. Right? We, we can outlaw Nazism. Right? We can say that th this is terrible and, and that people that... that um, are adhering to the idea of national socialism or absolute reprobate, right? We can we can say that. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny. That it's funny you brought that up because I mean we just got done with a, uh, well I I can say at least a two decades long global war on terrorism. Um, right. And you could, well you can argue that that GWAT is still occurring today. Um, but the the the, the, the the terrorist events, if you add all of the terrorist events up uh, since the beginning of when we started classifying uh, these things as terrorist events, they pale in comparison. The deaths pale in comparison to what the communists have achieved over uh, over the last decade, or I'm sorry, the last century. When you talk about Mao and Lenin and the rest of them. Right. So, but, but, yeah. but, but we're all, but, you know, terrorism is bad. And somehow communism is good today. It, it, it just baffles my mind. Well, and, and it's all part of the subversion. Because when, when, when we, when, when Cleon Skousen points out here in, um, in his point uh, number 12 of, of the, the goals of, of the Communist Party in the United States, um, resisting any attempt to outlawing the Communist Party. You have to understand that they're going to return the favor in kind by outlawing any attempt to push back against it. 
And that begins with non-personing or othering someone. So, oh, you're you're uh, you don't agree with with pedophilia or this uh, made up term, minor attracted person, right? Which we're seeing more and more frequently. Oh, you you don't agree with that? Oh, you you want to go to a school board meeting and, and speak out? Oh, and you're going to do that in the name of the cross. As you absolutely should, as, as anyone who believes in the underpinning of morality in the United States absolutely should, because that is our foundation of our jurisprudence. That is the foundation of John Locke, is Thomas Aquinas. It goes back that far of what we, we all see as being naturally evident. It goes to Thomas Aquinas' idea of natural law, which is rooted in Christianity. And so they know that. The Marxists know that. And, and their, their fundamental question has been all this time, how do we subvert that? How do we, how do we uproot that? And so when they exploit that seam and gap, right, as any insurgent does, as every insurgent does, successful insurgent does, which is exactly what that is. It, it is an insurgency in the United States. It follows that model perfectly haven't they done a pretty good job of attacking natural law through our uh, religious organizations our churches yep they absolutely have they they and and when they couldn't score a win a direct win from the front they simply infiltrated it and subverted it from behind you know look at the look at several of the major denominations today you know look look at how far the Presbyterian Church has fallen. Look how far the Methodist Church has fallen. Look how far the Episcopal Church has fallen. The, you know, in the 1980s, the Episcopal Church was the Church of Conservatism. It was known as the, the Church of Ronald Reagan. And look at it today. Look at it today. You know, it, it, it's a shadow of its former self. The pews are empty. It's facing a schism internally. And, and every one of these denominations are. Even the Southern Baptist Convention is facing some some serious backlash against it and, and an internal war against the, the two factions that are, that are left and right and that left-wing faction is actively trying to subvert you know this these are things that, that people who are active in the church know and, and have recognized and have seen and a lot of conservatives are throwing their hands up they don't understand necessarily how to push back against it but, but getting back to point number 12, the, the thing that, that I want to drive home here is that this when they say any attempt to outlaw the Communist Party is going to be resisted, they will in turn actively try to outlaw any other contrary opinion to that. And they'll label it something that they know that they can character assassinate, that they can attack in real time. And that's what they have done here. Are they held? Listen, you, you mentioned this earlier, and I, I'll be honest with you. Now, the first time I heard the term Christian nationalist, I mean, I, I chuckled. I mean, is, that, that describes every single founding father of this country was a Christian yep. nationalist. I mean, but the first time I heard that, uh, and I think it was on the media, probably, probably watching CNN or something, but the first time I heard this term, I, I, I thought, really? I mean, this is now a derogatory thing? I mean, I thought this is what everybody <laughs> was trying to perfect was their Christian nationalism. And all of a sudden now it's like being thrown around as a dirty word. So I know there's no, uh, 
this wasn't by accident. You're absolutely right trying to create a, a boogeyman. But now it's like even being an American now is like a derogatory term. Right. But absolutely. You know, we, I, I was having a conversation with, uh, with, with some students I had in class uh, recently uh, before Christmas. And one of them made the comment, he, he was exactly right when he said, you know, the, the American flag is the new rebel flag. They're, they're gonna they're gonna push and push and push and outlaw that too, and, and oh well you can't you can't fly that, um, you know and and for evidence of that I'll point to Minnesota. Minnesota is an absolute liberal hellhole. Um, I don't I don't think anybody would disagree with that, especially a, a lot of the folks that are living there, uh, the the uh, people that have lived there for generations, a lot of your, your German and Scandinavian folks who, who originally settled Minnesota um, and, and made it something other than, than a barren tundra of, of, of what it is for the most part, right? Um, you know, but you have Minneapolis and St. Paul, which is a, a California colony and has really, uh, really went off the deep end in terms of, of uh, just, just how bad things are there. Uh, politically, these, these people are completely unhinged. Well, they have sought to create a new state flag. So he, here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. Going back to the Civil War, if if we go back to the the uh, Reconstruction era of the Civil War specifically, so, so just post-Civil War, if you look at the state flags of Wisconsin, of Iowa, of Nebraska, they all look in, in um, Minnesota. They all look very similar, right? They're all blue. They have a state seal on them, uh, and that's pretty much, you know, the, the uh, long short of it, right? And they're all very, very similar state flags. So the the conversation that began of, of well, we need to change the Minnesota state flag. Well, this actually started in the South. So you had Alabama, you had Georgia, you had Florida, you had Mississippi. Well, well we got to change all of these state flags, right? Well, well they, they're, they're rooted in the Confederacy. It was you know, racist and all this stuff, so we got to change them. Yeah, the racist past. Hmm. Right, because the, you have to understand that the communists seek to erase history. Absolutely. If all the past... They can control the outcome of the future. This is how they think. They want to erase the past. All right, what does this have to do with Minnesota? Well, the flag, and these were all Union states, by the way. These were all Union territories originally that became states, and they all had that blue banner. Why did they have that? That solidarity with the Union, right? Not the Confederacy, the Union. These were all Union states, you know, the Missouri Compromise and all that stuff. I don't even know if kids are learning this stuff today, right, in the history classes, because, you know, I don't know what they're learning out of their Howard Zinn textbooks. But why did they – so if, if that's the case, why is it that Minnesota needs to change its state flag? What justification are they giving for this? Well – they say that it's offensive to Native Americans 
Ah, it's a, it, so it's it this this their state flag is offensive to Native Americans, and so thus it needs to be changed. Translation: This is the next pushback that the communists, who are infesting all of the the political landscape of Minnesota, right? This this they they own it, lock and stock there. This is what they're doing. They want to change that history yet again. And when you can't find an obvious division to exploit, you're going to exploit anything and everything else. Right? You will create one. That's what they're doing here. They want to destroy any ties to the past that the people may have because this is their motivating factor for defending it, for defending a place. If you sap their will to fight before they even begin, they, they, these, the people that are living there, these kids that are growing up there, they, they don't even understand, have any connection with their history whatsoever. You can remake that society however you want. And that is exactly what they're doing. That is the goal that they're working for. Right. And so what flag did they replace it with? What flag did they propose? Something ironically looks a whole lot like the Somali flag. And so you got to wonder, you know, what, you know, Somalia and and the Horn of Africa is a pretty warm place. Why would they magically all of a sudden say, hey, you know, I I think I'm going to go settle down in Minnesota. That that seems like prime real estate for me to go hang out and and plant my roots. Um, Nah, I, I don't buy it. You know, and, and, and it was because these communist organizations invited them in. They knew that that was a populace. And there are many other pockets like this. They knew that they could bring them in. And in a generation, they would have a populace that they could control. They could use them to subvert the existing social order that was there. Right. Because when you look at, at your, your uh, uh, Germanic and Scandinavian people, who, who uh, originally settled in Minnesota, they were all Lutheran. They were devoutly Lutheran, too. And, and a lot of your old-timers definitely were, right? But they wanted to uproot all of that. So they diminished the role of religion because religion plays a strong role in, in creating that culture and binding that culture together. That is where we derive our, our underlying moral code of what we accept as as this is law, this is just, this is how we will live our lives. Islamic societies adhere to it, Buddhist societies adhere to it, and believe it or not, communist societies adhere to it as well. They have their own system of codification of law. Right now, where we're entering um, this era that we're entering in, in 2024 is the conflict phase of our old system of law and our old source of law, the Thomas Aquinas source of law that John Locke wrote about, that Thomas Jefferson certainly uh, furthered, right? The Thomas Paine, the, the, you know, our, our original thought leaders in the United States of American culture and, and the fathers of, of our nation, and that which which a lot of libertarians and uh, well all libertarian American libertarians that I can think of adhere to on on both sides of the aisle, both sides of the argument, 
we're entering a time where that is now incongruent with the new social order that the communists are, are seeking to, to bring in, right? They're, they're utilizing conflicting social systems. Islam is, is one of the big ones. They're bringing that in. They're doing it on purpose because they know that that undermines the larger social order. That undermines those larger social underpinnings that tie us all together, that creates social cohesion. They know that they can do that. And when you don't allow people to acclimate to, and you don't give them that time to acclimate, you're gonna you're gonna create conflict. Always create conflict. Um, you know, and and I want to point out that uh, you know the the invasion of our southern border, which remains completely unabated, this is part and parcel of it as well. Right? Who is it that is that is creating the conditions for that invasion? Who is it that's saying, "Hey, you know, uh, we're, we're going to gather these people up from these countries everywhere where they're, they're coming from," and it's not just Central and South America. You know, we're, we're seeing a large number of people coming in from China and military-age males. By the way, where are the women? Where are the women? Where are they coming from? You know, where, where are they? Who? How many men are going to willingly say, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to just make this migration north into the United States and I'm going to leave my, my uh, you know, all the women behind. I'm going to leave kids behind. I mean, you know, eh, let's not really worry about them. Let's just push north. Somebody's planting that seed. Who is that? You know, who, who is that that is doing that? And there are organizations in the United States that, that uh, hang out under the non-governmental organization or NGO banner and have been doing so for a very long time that are perpetuating this, that, that have been perpetuating this the entire time. And they, they're not going to stop, right, unless they're forced to do so. And so it, it, this, this is all part of it. Right. This this is the mosaic that, that's being painted here. You know, the, the uh, Chinese that are coming in, that's certainly by no accident. Um, but what I will say is, is, is that with the, the Latin population that's coming in, that's not exactly working as well as, as what the communists originally intended. And one of the reasons for that is their strong, very, very strong cultural tie to Catholicism, they're, they're not necessarily going along with a lot of this stuff. And, and, the, um, we, and, and this is a bright spot about all, you know, all of it, is that they also are, are very upset with the current Pope. Um, the, uh, a lot of the, the policies and, and the, uh, the statements that he's made recently, it doesn't jive very well with, with the, the, um, the larger moral code that you have in, in you know, every Latino culture that, that I'm familiar with, uh, particularly as it, it pertains to the LGBT community. They, they don't stand for that stuff. They, they don't like that. And to them, that's that, that this is uh, uh, apostate to what they respect as being the underpinning of their culture. And so there's a big pushback that's happening right now. This is why you're seeing a, a, a lot of um, Latin mass and, and traditional Latin mass Catholic services that are on the rise. 
and and in a very very big way and that's good to see i mean i'm not catholic but that's very good to see because i can i, I at least know that when when i see that and when i see the, the increase in that those are people who have at a basic level the same or similar enough social values that i have they yeah. can say hey we're not there's some things that we're not going along with here and you know this this is how we live this is how we behave well it's funny yeah it's funny you it's funny you bring up the catholic uh uh, mass um because i mean we've we've also learned that that's been a a recent target of the fabians within the uh fbi um Yep. For for whatever reason, I mean that that just seems like the most bizarre thing for them to target and be concerned about. But uh, that's been a that's been a target of the FBI. Well, you know, the, an enemy will always tell you what they fear, a hundred percent of the time. If you're willing to listen and pay attention, they'll tell you what they fear. I mean, in Afghanistan, why did the the Taliban enter negotiations? Somewhere around 2010, why did they enter negotiations with the Afghan government, not the United States, but the Afghan government, to 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 um, basically diminish its presence in certain hotspots? Because they knew that that they were getting beat in these areas, and so they had to. You only come to a negotiating table when you have to. And central to their argument. Right. They, what they wanted out of those negotiations was to stop the night raids. They, they didn't want night raids anymore. Why? Because we had night vision equipment. They didn't. It was that simple. Night raids are, are wildly effective and, and um, against them as, as a, a large scale tactic because Afghans aren't used to fighting the night. You know, this is well documented, the, the invasion of Afghanistan. They the fighters would fight during the day, and then at night they'd pack up their stuff and and leave the front. So it and, and uh, Gary Burnson documented that in his book uh, Jawbreaker. He was baffled by this. Why you know wh- what are you guys doing leaving the front? Well, it's it, you know night's coming. We're, we're not going to fight. And it an enemy will always tell you what they fear, and they will state their goal as trying to diminish that threat to them, whatever it is. And the communists have, have very effectively done that in the United States. And in the, the subversion of institutions, the, the FBI is a, a perfect example of that. The FBI was founded as an anti-communist organization. Going back to the, the uh, genesis of, of contemporary communism in the United States, right? The Red Scare of... of uh, the, the early 1920s, the genesis of the FBI was created, right? It, it was originally a task force that J. Edgar Hoover was tasked with putting together to go after communists in the United States because they were a threat, right? And look at them today. Now, instead, we're going to go after the churches. Instead, we're going to go after conservatives. Instead, we're going to go after people who are out there waving the American flag who, who do what they do out of love of country, we're going to go after them. We're going to turn a blind eye to Black Lives Matter. We're going to turn a blind eye to, um, you know, the, the, the very real threats. I mean, for example, Palestinian protesters, 
right? The free Gaza movement. And these people are tied at the hip to the Marxist underground in the United States. William Ayers is one of the central people. William Ayers, Prairie Fire, right? Weather Underground, bombed the Pentagon. This guy, him and Bernadine Dorn are central figures in the Free Gaza Movement, which is a non-governmental organization. And they're the ones who've been instrumental in putting together all of, all of these protests that we've seen worldwide, but particularly here in the United States. They've entered Congress how many times now? Yes, Three. Several. Three, to my knowledge, and and I haven't been keeping up with it really, really well because, you know, I've got a lot lot on the plate, but three, to my knowledge, and they've been far more violent than anything that happened on January 6th, anything at all. So why isn't the FBI going after them? Why are we not seeing the the billboards on, on the side of the road? They're saying, you know, hey, there's there's a ten thousand dollar reward if you tip the FBI on you know all of these things. Why why is the media not talking about that? They just would rather you not know, right? Why haven't they went after Code Pink, which is another Marxist organization? They're an outright, overtly Marxist organization. Why haven't they went after them? Because when you do not go after your political allies, you are telling the world, because they are their political allies, you're telling the world what is acceptable and what is not. You pick and choose the winners. That's exactly what's happened here. So, you know, we're, we're, what we have seen is this elite capture and the capture of the institutions that, that has occurred. And that's where we are. Uh, The, it, 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 I would say, and in, in, in going back to the, the 2020 election and uh, really the 2016 election as well, what we know about the FBI going into that, they don't work for the will of the people of the United States. I mean, you know, you can't tell me and you can't point to any any real evidence that these that this organization with so much corruption at the top works for the people of the United States. They don't. And, and it pains me greatly to say that as somebody who, who is fought to defend this country, um, you know, literally broke myself doing it. Uh, it, uh, it, it, it. It's heartbreaking to say that, that our institutions that are tasked with keeping us safe at our, our most fundamental level are, are not doing so and, and are not geared towards doing so. And, and it seems like um, the situation is not going to be fixed either. So let's uh, let's transition now and let's talk about um, twenty twenty four and beyond. Yes, because crazy year coming. I'm I'm seeing more and more people um, really kind of coming to the. I mean, I, regrettably, I, I think a lot of them are having to be uncomfortably pulled into reality. But I, I think, uh, you know, you have a tendency to sort of ignore problems uh, until they come to your front door. Uh, you know, you'll, you're, you're going to, as long as, um, you know, I'm able to pay my bills and as long as I'm able to have my job and as long as I haven't been canceled and as long as my life is going good, um, I know my neighbor's life is collapsing, you know, around me. But it hasn't hit me yet. But as we're... As we're seeing more and more families across the country really kind of be affected by 
um, this Marxist ideology in every aspect of life, um, more and more people are kind of having to deal with it. They're, they're, they're having to like, just damn, you know, I, I'm, I don't like where things are, are, are at right now and where they're going. Cause now it's affecting me. Now it's affecting my pocketbook. Now it's affecting my ability to, uh, even have, uh, casual conversations with friends or even, uh, uh, you know, I have to worry about who I'm, uh, will, uh, having conversations with the church or whatever. Um, you know, everyone's kind of getting, getting sort of paranoid and rightfully so, because I mean, everything, all of our institutions have sort of been infiltrated. Um, wh- where, where do we go now? Now, now that the, 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 sides have sort of been, you know, uh, delineated. I mean, they're, they're really coming into focus. Uh, people are really seeing us and them now more than, uh, ever before in this country. Um, what, 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 what does the future look like to you? So <laughs> I'm an eternal optimist. Uh, yeah, me too. And I, and I, we are, you know, I, I think good prevails over evil. I, I, I think you have to go through some hard times first, but absolutely. you know, how, how, how does, how does that look? So that's, that's what I was about to say is, is that it's easy to succumb to the black pill effect for a lot of people. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, kind of, Throwing your hands up, saying, "Ah, man, you know, nothing ever happens. You know, we're not winning." Well, for a lot of people, they want normalcy back. They want to be told that you know everything's going to be okay, and you know I can I can watch my football on Sunday, and you know, and, and you know it's 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 all going to be fine at the end of the day. Right? And that's not the case. And so once you resign yourself to that thought that okay you know that era which was relatively brief when you're, you're talking about you know the, the history of the world you know peace doesn't last very long typically i mean you know the the um, the kingdom of israel under david and solomon was a relatively peaceful period, and that's why we look back at it. Uh, but what was their eventual downfall? You know, they Solomon eventually succumbed to his own vanity and the fact that that it was a peaceful period, right? And and we're kind of headed towards that. So that may seem bleak to a lot of people, but there's there's a strong optimism with that as well. So where we're headed in, in kind of the, the crystal ball, 2024, 2025, it, you know, there's no magic election that's going to fix the problems we face as a society and as a culture. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, whether Trump gets reelected um, because he, you know, this, this whole primary thing is silly. Um, it, it's, you know, it, it's it's very very silly to to have all this stuff. I think childish, uh, on part of of certain interests within the GOP that um, don't necessarily have our interests at heart. But uh, Trump is is definitely going to be the nominee, and they, there's going to be some roadblocks to that. Um, where they you know they're not going to want him to run. There's going to be you know expect legal challenges, whatever. I look at this stuff as as a sideshow. 
right? The, the politics in the United States as of 2024 is mostly a sideshow and something that is, uh, I file away is good to know uh, for, for kind of my own awareness, but something that I don't hang my hat on um, because it, it's, it's not going to change. None of it's going to change the, the very monumental problems and the cataclysm that we're facing as a society. So you're probably still thinking, you know, how, how is that an optimistic view? Because when you look around, you know, you look at, at um, the political power that is bubbling up from the grassroots level. You look at the conversation that's being had at the most fundamental conservative circles that, that has now permeated the mainstream. You know, the very fact that... Um, the media is even having a conversation about Christian nationalism and, and that conversation is now being had is really important. That's important to note. The fact that we're having that conversation at all is really important because now this, this means that people are thinking people in the mainstream are beginning to think, wait a minute. Whoa. You know, I, I thought that that was just something that, that we did. Wait a minute. Why is this bad? Why are you labeling this as bad? And a lot of people in, in Main Street America, you know, the, the workaday type, I'm here to, to run my company and I go home at the end of the day and, you know, live my normal life. They're now beginning to become very aware. And so parallel structures, right, parallel economies, people that are saying, you know, maybe I don't adhere to the overarching narrative. Maybe right now I'm only going along to get along. But from a, a social model uh, of the future, uh, you know, this, this stuff is untenable. More people are beginning to realize that. And so the first step in solving the problem is admitting that, that there is a problem. And right now we're in that phase of admitting that, yeah, there, there's a problem here. The house is on fire. Right. Whereas in 2015, 2016, we weren't ready to do that. Trump was was the early. He was the very, very early shot across the bow with that regard of, well, you know, we'll, we'll elect him and we'll, we'll see if the situation can get better. and Maybe he'll fix this. Time. Right. <clears throat> well, that didn't happen. And then in 2020, there's a very real conversation that, hey, you know, that election's pretty suspect. And. Then they're going after him, right? They, they went after him the way that they did, which is an ongoing thing. Wait a minute. If, if you know, if, if, if everything was above board and everything, you know, and let's say Joe Biden really did get 81 million votes, yeah, which I do not believe. <laughs> not anybody who's intellectually honest believes that. Yeah. I mean, look at the guy. Well, I mean, he, uh, he, got 81, he, got, he got 81 million votes, but not 81 million legitimate votes. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Isn't the other part of this too just the fact that you know I think the the other side, the the Marxist and what have you, I think they have a a difficult time sometimes understanding uh, their opponent uh, in some in some regards, and, and I, I say this because generally um, the American idea, the American spirit, is sort of that of individualism and individual freedom and capitalism. Right. And, kind of just doing what we want to do. 
we're we're not a we're not we don't think in in terms of collectivism where where they do uh in centralized control so a lot of times it's like even i'm just listening to you it's like you know trump is sort of a uh, you know the the symptom if you will of what's really going on uh, with or without trump um you know the american people and what they're the way they want to live their life that that idea is not going away we we simply just find somebody else. Uh, Trump is not that big of a deal uh, to MAGA. And I, I think the left has a hard time sort of realizing that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, the, 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 the MAGA movement, which is, you know, the, the populist base of conservatism. And I would say, at this point, the, the populist base of, of America, of, of American culture, if you look at it at the macro level, it transcends race. It transcends economic class. When, when you look at the, the traditional political divides of, of people in the United States and how that's been broken down, those are the two primary divisions that have always been used. Is you know they say well, well the Republican Party was the traditional party of the capitalist class and wealthy guys and whatever and the Democrat was, was the party of, of the working man right in in the um, I, I would say 1960s era moving forward that that was what you saw and that was at least the narrative that was being explained uh, uh, to the public well all that's been flipped on its head and that really the who have sought to subvert the United States um, that certainly scares the power structure which I think um, in the United States the governmental power structure in the United States which is is another animal it, it's related to the Marxist but it isn't it is its own thing uh, it, it acts in its own self-interest. And it thinks uh, that largely the, the political structure and, and the power structure, what some people may call a military industrial complex, um, but it, it's it's way larger than that. Uh, that that's too simplistic because you know, we see big pharma tied up in it. We see the intelligence community tied up in it. We see the CEOs of a lot of these corporations that are wholly tied up in it. Uh, the economic sector with BlackRock is tied up in it. They think that they can control the, the street Marxists and and uh in particular academics and they have their own idea uh the communists in in these organizations uh that, that have been bubbling up have their own idea and so they're not going to be co-opted um in the ways that the, the power elite think um so that but that again that, that's kind of an, uh, another branch off of this conversation the point is is that the populist base which makes up the Make America Great Again movement is Trump was was kind of the, the the coalescing factor early on in that, and I don't want to say that he's he's completely irrelevant now, but it's kind of quickly approaching that point of you know it it, it doesn't matter whether he's he's a candidate. I mean, the guy's eighty years old or, or getting close to it. He's gonna be gone at some point sooner rather than later he, he's he's going to be out of the picture who's who's going to going to move up and so that made it possible for the real freedom fighters to step out right that made it possible for guys like mike johnson right who who you know he, he's 
Is he perfect? No, but he's also human. The fact that he was, uh, you know, th- that he has got to where he, he uh, the position of power that he and influence that he's attained is really important. People like uh, the Argentine president, Javier Malay, right? The, the conversation is absolutely being had and it's being had internationally, you know, and, and Javier Malay, again, is, is another example of this. Um, you know, it, be it, you know, looking to the South, looking to Argentina. So it it is a good thing. And I think that you, you hit the nail on the head saying that um, the, the Marxist power structure in the United States really didn't know, I think, the hornet's nest that they were they were kicking socially, because we've now have, have coalesced all of these people who previously would have been in competition with one another, would have been in conflict with one another socially and historically have been, it, it's coalesced these people against this, this uh, power the, structure that's the, really the, outreached itself. Yeah, the, lar- the larger threat, you know, the larger threat of Marxism. Well, well listen, uh, we've, we've kind of run up against the wall here. I, I, I want to say thank you. Um, for for taking uh, some time out and uh, coming on to the the Pinelander podcast with us, it's always a great honor to have you. Uh, your insights and uh, yeah, I mean we 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 love to graduate. I mean you're a busy guy. You you travel all over the place. You're doing your thing, but uh, we we love it when you take a little time out and uh, come share your thoughts with us uh, with our audience. And uh, we just we just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you. I, I love being here, brother. Well, we're definitely going to have to do it again, and uh, I think I, I think the the takeaway from this uh, this episode is be optimistic. I mean, we've kind of identified the enemy. We kind of know uh, what they're doing. Um, it's it's at, it's exposed. It's out in the open, and um, and I think people are waking up to it. And I think you know Americans always do what Americans do, and that's rise to the challenge. Uh, so uh, nothing's free. Uh, free. Our freedom isn't free, and it's time to get up off the couch and and. Uh, be concerned about the country that you're going to leave to your children and grandchildren. Uh, but thank you, uh, and we'll definitely do this again.